I think it's important we use our voices like Jalen Brown did. You know, after our game against the Celtics, he refused to take questions on basketball and specifically wanted to point attention towards some of the injustices we're facing as a society. I think it's important we continue to speak on things that we feel are affecting us. We speak on things that we feel are important to us and things we feel should be changed. I think this is tough. Mandating uh, vaccination for people not giving them a choice is a, is a slippery slope. But the fact that they're allowing there to be religious reasons or medical reasons why you don't have to be vaccinated is a step in the right direction. Other sports will probably take this route. I can personally tell you that having played in a playing game, I don't want to do it again. It was a lot of work. It took a lot of energy. And with the stress of this season, the stress of COVID, having to compete for a top seven seed to secure the seven seed only to have to defend it again, seems like a lot. Welcome to the 110th episode of Pull Up. That's right, 110 episodes. As we record this today, it's Wednesday, April 14th. We will release it tomorrow, Thursday, April 15th. On this date, April 15th, 1965, Eastern Conference Finals Game 7, maybe the most famous still in NBA history, the Celtics were up one against Will Chamberlain and the Sixers. Five seconds left in the game, and I still remember it like it was yesterday, although I wasn't here for this. I've been watching NBA TV. I've been watching ESPN and all the throwback games for most of my life. So I remember John Havlicek steals the inbound pass to seal the win, and it led to the infamous call. Havlicek stole the ball. Havlicek stole the ball. I'll never forget it. Celtics were going to win their seventh of eight straight NBA titles, which is crazy, pure domination. Also on this date, 2007 referee Joey Crawford infamously, infamously, however you want to say it, he gives Tim Duncan two separate technicals while sitting on the bench. Duncan, known for being mild-mannered, relaxed, laid back, very chill, got his first technical for laughing um, on the bench. Joey Crawford was not happy about it. He was laughing uh, with Tony Parker about how bad uh, Joey Crawford was basically calling the game, making fun of him later on. He would laugh again, and Joey Crawford would give him two technicals on two separate occasions while Duncan wasn't even in the game. Pretty funny, pretty interesting situation there because as we've seen this season without fans being in the building, there've been a lot more technicals. There's been a lot of banter back and forth between players, coaching staff, uh, personnel, and referees. Um, they can obviously hear more things in the arena because there's no one there. And things have become a bit personal at times, but I think for the most part, we've been able to kind of work through that, you know, 40 games, 50 games into the season. And I figured out a way to kind of coexist, understanding that we're going to say some things that we probably shouldn't at times and that referees are also going to miss calls at times. It's a part of life. But moving on, I want to talk about the game last night. We ended up dropping a game, well, Two nights ago, uh, we ended up dropping a game to the Boston Celtics at home. Uh, we went out there and competed. We played extremely well on both sides of the ball. We executed. Um, I think we're turning the corner in terms of uh, being able to put together full games. We, we've struggled with that in the past, but I think last night kind of showed that we can compete at a high level and sustain a high level of play. But obviously, uh, Tatum came up big. Uh, we trapped him for most of the night. He kind of settled in and figured things out after halftime. And he went on to finish with 32 points, nine rebounds, and five assists. Uh, he hit the game winner right in my face. Uh, I thought I played pretty good defense. Um, tried to take away his step back going left, and he ended up stepping back going right. And as the saying goes, it's a make or miss league. And in that situation, he made the shot and kind of put them up. But 
uh, it, it's tough for us, you know, having lost four or five against a bunch of quality teams, dropping a few games at home, but we're getting on the right page. We're getting accustomed to everyone being on the roster again. Obviously, Nurk's come back from injury. I'm coming back from injury. So you bring those pieces together, you add the Norman Powell trade in, and we're still continuing to be a work in progress. But uh, with 18, 19 games left, I feel like we're trending in the right direction and have time to kind of iron out some of the kinks and uh, continue to push forward. But I think from an adjustment standpoint, we've done a better job as of late of communicating defensively, kind of switching up our coverages offensively, continuing to figure out ways to generate high volume, high efficient shots, more pitch actions, more off ball movement. And I think for the most part, we did a terrific job. And if I play a better game last night, shoot the ball a little bit more efficiently, uh, I think we walk away uh, with a victory there. But uh, with, with, plenty of time left. Uh, there's no panic in us. We understand what's at stake and we understand what needs to be done to kind of move forward. But I like the direction we're heading. And I think last night was was positive um, considering we went against a very tough Boston Celtics team who has struggled also this season, but are very talented. Uh, they're well coached. Jalen Brown played extremely well. Uh, he's a uh, young up-and-comer who's obviously an all-star early in his career, but is efficient. He's effective. He's explosive. Marcus Smart's a great defender, a veteran guy um, who can do a little bit of everything, passes, rebounds, scores. And Kimba is coming into to form, showing that he's you know still explosive, can stop on a dime, raise up, and hit threes. And I think they're going to be a tough out in the Eastern Conference, especially uh, based on what I'm hearing. They're going to be getting fans soon in the Boston Garden, TV Garden. So uh, they're definitely going to be a extremely tough opponent to face. Uh, rewinding the clock a little bit, uh, Ennis Cantor, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout him out, had one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I've gone on record saying that he's arguably the best rebounder um, I've ever seen, the best rebounder in the NBA. The guy racked up 30 rebounds in a single game. He broke the franchise record uh, for rebounds in the game. He broke the franchise record for offensive rebounds in a game with 12 or tied it. And just kind of showed the importance of being able to carve out space, uh, the importance of understanding positioning, uh, the one-two, the will, and as Coach Terry said post-game, I think that the most impressive thing about you know, rebounding is that it's a want-to. You have to have a motor. You have to understand positioning. There's no play that's drawn up for a rebound. Um, it's not necessarily the most glorifying thing or the glorifying aspect of the game, but it's essential. And he's found out a way to perfect that uh, within how he plays, carving out space. He's not extremely athletic. We always joke he's the most non-athletic player we've ever seen that can get 10, 11 rebounds with ease. And he's showing that averaging, I think, 12 points, 12 rebounds a game and, you know, 25, 26 minutes a night. He's he's having um, another very, very good season um, and has been very effective for us uh, in Nurk's absence and alongside Nurk. And it's it's only right that I shout him out for his historic performance and extremely happy for him. And, and as he continues to fast now with Ramadan being here, I'm looking forward to um, seeing how he plays considering the last time uh, he went through this, we were in the playoffs uh, making our postseason push to the Western Conference Finals where we ended up beating Denver and then dropping a game to the Warriors. But I'm going to talk about a lot of things um, on this podcast. So I appreciate everybody tuning in as always. We'll discuss the playing format. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? We'll discuss Mark Cuban's thoughts, Luka Doncic's thoughts, my thoughts personally, other players' thoughts around the league. We'll discuss Ben Simmons firing off some shots at Rudy as the defensive player of the year race continues to heat up. I want to also remind everyone um, to make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hit us with a five-star review. Share the show with a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pull Up Pod for fresh content all season long. And you can go out and check out the segment we did last week on ESPN's 25 under 25 list exclusively at Pull Up Pod. But first, I would like to talk about something outside of the sports world as sports in Minnesota has took some time off um, starting on Monday to mourn the death of Dante Wright. Another young African-American male, 20 years old, who was shot and killed by a police officer at a traffic stop. The Minnesota Timberwolves, twins, uh, all canceled their games. And the the tough part about this situation is that this is all coming um, during the trial of Derek Chauvin, who uh, obviously uh, was was the one who killed George Floyd. He kneeled on his neck you know, for seven, eight minutes. This is a very, very tough situation for all the families involved, for people in general and that city in general, because there's a lot of tension in the area. And now with another death at the hands of an officer who um, is on record saying that she thought it was the taser um, and ended up being the gun. This is just a tough situation. Far too often we're seeing mishaps between police officers and people of color. It's happening way too often and it's becoming something we have to talk about far too much. And I think from a training standpoint, it's important that officers continue to learn how to de-escalate situations. Obviously, people will talk about how uh, people should comply. And I agree that people should comply, but not complying shouldn't result in death. Um, there's, there's far too many situations to where bad things have happened um, from, from a situation or circumstance in which a white male may shoot up a church or shoot up a school or do those types of things and walks out unharmed. And there's also been times where those same people have been provided with food or beverages on their way to the courthouse, which is insane, or their way to jail, which is insane to even think about. But it's, it's obvious that there's some differences in, in how people of color are treated uh, with law enforcement compared to our white counterparts. And it's something that just needs to stop. And there's, there's no excuse um, for taking someone's life, especially in a situation in which you have 25 years of experience in law enforcement. And, and, and I'm a person who, you know, I have my own, my own handgun. I've gone to gun rages and things of that nature. I'm no expert by any means of the imagination, but I can assure you I can tell the difference between a handgun and a taser. The weight distribution difference and having friends in law enforcement uh, who are cops, you're supposed to keep one on the opposite side, gun's supposed to go on your strong side, and you you know all those things, and then you see this situation happen, and it's it's just sickening. But looking at some of the quotes and some of the things that have come from this Obviously, as a as a member of the executive committee, I'm privy to a lot of information and things that we see. But just talking about what the Wolves president said, Gerson Rosas briefly talked about the situation and said that playing Tuesday would give our guys a platform to show and say what they feel. D'Angelo Russell went on to say, we have a platform right here to bring awareness to it. The biggest thing is bringing awareness and going out and actually doing things about it. And Steve Nash had what I think is is the main discussion in place right now. What does it change if we play today or don't play today? Change needs to come. Meaningful change needs to come at some point. And I think for me as a black man who's grown up in society, you know, grown up in the inner city and now has kind of transformed into someone who's, you know, known for playing sport, who, come, who now has money, lives in a different neighborhood, um, is treated differently, obviously, by, by peers, treated differently by people of power, specifically police officers and others. I have a unique perspective on this entire situation. And I think it's a tough balance that we face as players because you want to use your platform, you want to spread knowledge, you want to spread awareness and information on what's going on. 
And then you also have a job to do. You know, we have a job to do, to, to play a sport, to perform. A lot of people depend on us, not only in our family, but people that work within the organization, uh, people that work within the sport in general. Uh, we basically allow for a lot of people um, to have income from bus drivers to, to the, the catering services, to the hotels, to the workers. There's a lot of people that are affected by us playing or not playing. And I think at times you definitely feel like you don't want to play. You feel like nothing's ever going to change. You feel hopeless for your people, especially our friends, our, our family, our peers who maybe still live in some of those neighborhoods we grew up in and maybe are still affected and judged purely uh, by the color of their skin. And then you also feel for the families who are affected by these tragedies. But I think where I stand at now is that I think it's important we use our voices like Jalen Brown did. You know, after our game against the Celtics, he refused to take questions on basketball and specifically wanted to point attention towards some of the injustices we're facing as a society and some of the the things that are going on that are hardly ever talked about. I think it's important we continue to speak on things that we feel are affecting us. We speak on things that we feel uh, are important to us and things we feel should be changed. And I also think that we have a job to do to play and uh, this goes back to the bubble. I was one of the, the players in the bubble who was was on board with leaving if the guys wanted to leave and was on board with staying, uh, mainly because I knew that either decision would affect so many different people. But I think the fact that we were able to not play for a few days and kind of figure things out in terms of what we, what change we'd like to see happen, how to kind of integrate certain things from from a uh, awareness standpoint to building culture to taking advantage of the voting situation, being able to open up arenas. I think a lot of positives came from us not playing because we were able to strategically kind of brainstorm ways to effectively make change. And I think now we're at the point, and I've talked to Michelle about this, I've talked to CP about this, I've talked to a lot of people, and regardless of what we do in terms of playing or not playing, it's it's a shame to say it, but another minority person is going to be killed by a police officer in some sort form or fashion at some point. And it's a shame that I can I can say that and, and understand the, the severity of it, but it's going to happen again. And we have to figure out how we're going to continue to move forward. Um, we can't stop playing every time this happens, but we can kind of sit back and figure out ways to strategically spread awareness, to strategically kind of protest and make sure that the, the, the proper justice is served in these situations. And I think we're at the point now to where a lot of players are speaking out a lot of organizations are speaking out, uh, ownership groups, coaches, staff. Pop has continued to speak out and, and has been an advocate uh, for those who may not necessarily have a voice. And I think in, in, in that sense, we're heading in the right direction, continue to kind of step forward. But it is an extremely sad situation. Uh, it's a shame that I have to go on a podcast and talk about this. But uh, it's the reality that we're living with right now. And as players, we're just trying to figure out how to continue to maneuver and move forward. The next topic I want to discuss is centered around the playing game, specifically some comments that came from the Dallas Mavericks organization, uh, obviously ownership group and players. The NBA decided to experiment with a playing game last season, one in which the Portland Trailblazers uh, played in, including myself. We ended up playing against the Memphis Grizzlies. We were four or five games out of the eight seed um, before the season stopped. They gave us a chance to play eight or nine regular season games. 
And if you were within three and a half games of the eight seed, a playing game was instituted. It went well. We ended up winning. Um, it was a very competitive game. Uh, a lot of viewers, people enjoyed it. They thought it was fun. Memphis wasn't very happy about it. But for us, it was a great opportunity because it gave us a chance to get into the playoffs. So we enjoyed it. It was a very quick turnaround going from playing Memphis. Um, after eight games, I had a broken back. We had a lot of guys banged up. We had a day off. And then we went to play the Lakers, who were you know, coming off a few days rest and were fortunately able to rest their players because they were the number one seed and, and didn't really value those eight or nine games the same way we did. They came up with a play-in series for this season as well, and it created a ton of buzz, a ton of drama. And unanimously, the NBA agreed to expand the format. And this season, they decided that seven and eight would play one game. Winner gets seven. Nine and 10 will play one game. Loser is eliminated. And the winner plays the loser of seven and eight. And the winner of that game gets the eight spot. Sounds very simple. <laughs> Until you're put in a position to potentially have to do these things. And I think now that we're going through a, a full COVID season in which there's testing three or four times a day, there's different time slots. I've actually spoken to the Clippers and at times and they've had to play the, the noon game or the two o'clock game. They've had to go back and test at 11 or 12 at night. And anyone that lives in LA understands, you know, how brutal it can be to, to try to move, maneuver through traffic for the five o'clock testing slot in the middle of the traffic day, as well as having to leave your house and mess up your sleep schedule to go back and test at night for a morning game. So there's been a lot of issues with that, but Specifically, Cuban voted last season to extend the playing format, and he's backtracking now. And the Mavs are in seventh place, and they're vulnerable and are in position to potentially have to play in the play game. We are actually in the sixth seed right now, two games ahead of the Mavericks. And I can personally tell you that having played in a playing game, I don't want to do it again. It was a lot of work. It took a lot of energy and with the regular season ending on May 16th and the playoffs not starting until May 22nd, I would love to get some rest for those games. I know Dane would love to rest. A lot of players would love to rest. And I think what Mark is basically saying is that having gone through this season, the stress of this season, the stress of COVID, the testing, the amount of extra pressure you kind of feel, the extra anxiety you feel to try to avoid some of the situations that are um, associated with COVID, uh, having to compete for a top seven seed to secure the seven seed only to have to defend it again seems like a lot now that it's realistic for them. And Cuban talked about the stress of the schedule. Um, he talked about how this last month, every team in the NBA is basically playing 20 games in 30 days, which is brutal. We are a part of that. And actually I've talked about that on the last podcast, how we have uh, five games in seven days coming up in May. There's a lot of travel. There's no time to really practice. Guys are playing more minutes and having fewer days to rest. And he specifically stated that in a regular season, 82 games where we aren't playing 30 plus games in six weeks, it might have been okay. But the compression of so many games in so few days makes this an enormous mistake. And I think he has a great point. I think that this is a situation in which we can't go back on it now because we've already agreed to it. All the NBA teams have unanimous, unanimously agreed to it. So now we're kind of stuck, but he has a great point. And I think it's more relevant because they're in a situation in which it could affect them. It's relevant to us because we're the sixth seed, two games out uh, for being in the position of playing a playing game. And I got to assure you, we don't want to do that. I think going forward, this format could be cool. It could be entertaining. It gives the Warriors a chance. It gives, you know, the Wizards a chance in the East, some teams that 
could make noise in the playoffs but aren't necessarily in position to make it right now. It gives them an opportunity, which is which is good for the sport and good for the game. But I think it's a tough situation in which they're going to have to revisit and reevaluate it, especially if we're going to have more condensed scheduling going forward to where we're not playing um, as many games, uh, but there's less days to get it done. Another topic that's been extremely hot across all sports and the world in general is vaccinations and the NFL has made a statement uh, that tier one and tier two employees other than players should be expected to be vaccinated unless they have a bona fide medical or religious ground for not doing so. It states that any staffer that refuses to be vaccinated without a religious or medical reason will not be eligible for tier one or tier two status and therefore will not be permitted access to the football only restricted area and may not work directly or in close proximity with players. The league intends to relax protocols, daily testing, tracking devices, quarantine regulations for people who receive the vaccine. I think first, just to kind of talk about my feelings on this, I think this is a very strong stance. And I think the NFL is just kind of taking steps in trying to encourage players and staff to be vaccinated. I think they want to encourage players and staff because of some of the contact tracing issues they've had and because of the fact that we have a lot of protocols in place from testing to tracking, uh, as we've seen with KD, someone in his circle um, tested positive for COVID. And although he had already been positive before that, they made him sit out seven days. So I think they're just trying to figure out ways to kind of get around some of the contact tracing protocols that are in place. But I think this is tough. Um, essentially, mandating uh, vaccination for people not giving them a choice is a, is a slippery slope because there's a lot of people probably in tier one and tier two who may not be comfortable with being vaccinated and, and may have reasons outside of our religious or medical. But I think the fact that they're allowing there to be religious reasons or medical reasons why you, you don't have to be vaccinated is a step in the right direction because I know a lot of personal family and friends who uh, medically uh, aren't comfortable with getting the vaccination and have actually been urged by their doctors to not get it based on some of the things that could happen from that vaccination standpoint. So I think that other sports will probably take this route, if I'm being honest, because they want to kind of control who we're around, who we're exposed to, and who's in our immediate circles, especially in the workplace. Uh, the workplace is supposed to be safe. Um, you're supposed to obviously be masked up. But if there's another preventative measure in which they can kind of protect us, I think they're going to take those strides um, and do whatever they feel is necessary to kind of get that done. I think people's individual preferences on vaccines definitely play a role in the NBA's plans. I know some players are for it, some players are against it, some players are unsure or just haven't been educated enough and would like to learn more before they kind of jump in. But I think the NBA and the MBPA have done an excellent job of educating players, educating families, allowing us to get on the phone with doctors, allowing us to ask questions about the vaccine, um, including side effects, what's in the vac vaccine, and, and kind of how we're going to move forward um, as we try to get through this. And I think there definitely have been talks about a plan. Um, some teams have began the vaccination process. I can speak to the Portland Trailblazers organization because we released a statement um, uh, recently, three weeks ago, 13 out of 15 players were vaccinated. And I think a number of our staff were vaccinated as well. And I think now 15 of our 15 players are actually vaccinated as we speak and will be fully vaccinated in weeks to come. And that was a personal decision that each player had the right to make on their own. Their families also had the right to make that on their own uh, as to whether or not they wanted to be vaccinated. And I think 
I think to start, it makes sense uh, to allow people to have uh, their choice. And I think people should have a choice early on to, to kind of decide um, whether or not they want to do it. Me personally, I felt like it was the right decision for me, uh, for where I'm at, how I travel, who I'm around. Um, I would I would never forgive myself if something happened to one of my older family members and I was uh, the one who passed it to them. And, and if I were in a position in which I could prevent it, which I am, I want to take all the necessary steps uh, possible to kind of prevent that. Um, from happening. So I'm thankful I was able to get vaccinated and I uh, would definitely encourage people that are healthy and, and don't have a religious situation in which it prevents them from doing it uh, to do just that. Moving on to one of my favorite segments, Pull Up or Dish. We got some interesting topics to discuss. Rudy Gobert being the favorite for defensive player of the year. He's currently odds at minus 335. Ben Simmons is at plus 230. On the jump, Ben Simmons said, I'm one of those guys who can guard one through five. He's great down there in the paint, but he's not guarding everybody. He guarded me in Utah. I had 42, and I'm not a scorer. Basically saying that, look, Rudy can guard fives and fours, but he can't guard every position. Since I can guard every position, I should win defensive player of the year. And I think... I am pulling up on this. I am a big Rudy Gobert fan. I think he's a great defender. He blocks shots. He changes the game. But I do like Ben Simmons' versatility. I think in this case, um, they should definitely look at some of the defensive metrics, but should also take into account um, the fact that Ben is guarding one through five. But at the end of the day, I think Rudy wins it, but I think Ben definitely has a case, and there there also could be a case for co-defensive player of the year. For the record, Rudy leads the NBA in defensive win shares at 3.8. Defensive real plus minus at plus six. And I have that little asterisk here. Embiid scored 40 on Gobert in March. Jokic has averaged 41 in two matchups versus Gobert. Those are two of the best players in the NBA, two MVP candidates who have basically showed they're unstoppable. I definitely think Metro's statistics and the ability to guard the whole floor should be taken into account. I think that the impact a player has on a team should be taken into account, and I think they both impact their teams in a positive light. Rudy definitely protects the basket. He changes the game. He blocks shots. Ben just kind of wreaks habit. He gets steals. He allows their team to kind of push the break and makes them very switchable. So me personally, I like them both. I would rather have a guy who can guard all five than a guy who can protect the rim, but I think they both are extremely important, extremely necessary, and I think Rudy is the perfect center for Utah because he blocks shots, he's low maintenance, he can make the extra pass, he can finish around the basket, and I think Ben gives them a lot of versatility because he can guard every position, he can give uh, Embiid a break at times, and he can go guard fours and fives as well. Another situation that we are seeing occur very often is players becoming owners, Three-time MLB MVP Alex Rodriguez uh, is negotiating to become the next owner of the Timberwolves. Anthony Edwards was asked about it and said, I don't even know who that is. I don't know anything about baseball, (laughs) which is funny because he's 19, which means he was born in 2002-ish. So that kind of gives you an idea of how old he is. But I'm pulling up on this. I'm happy about players becoming owners, players understanding the importance of diversifying, understanding the importance of the power and leverage that they have. And I think players have a great idea of uh, what life is like as a player. So they'll become pretty good owners in in terms of providing what needs to be provided for them and understanding how to kind of organize and manage a team. Uh, 
LeBron also being another player who's part of the Fenway Sports Group ownership, uh, which owns the Red Sox and Liverpool Football Club. Patty Mayonnaise, a.k.a. Patrick Mahomes, is part owner of the KC Royals. And Derek Jeter with the Marlins, Jordan with the Hornets, obviously, and Magic with the Dodgers. So I'm pulling up on this. I'm excited about it. Um, I think there probably will never become a time where part of a team's ownership comes in player contracts um, just because of some legalities around that. But I do have interest in potentially becoming a part owner of a team at some point. Um, Looking forward to learning more about it. Obviously, you need a lot of funds for that. So I have to continue to diversify so that I can afford um, how expensive that's going to be. But a lot of players are learning more about the business realm of not only sports, but entertainment and are very knowledgeable and taking advantage of their time. So I'm happy to see players uh, becoming owners everywhere. Get the dub. Take the L where we discuss who got the dub and who took the L. In this case, I'm just talking about the dub. My guy, Gary Trent Jr. is hooping. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about him. Extremely happy for him. 31 points versus the Thunder, 24 versus the Warriors, and a buzzer beater versus the Wizards. 44 on 17 of 19 shooting on Saturday. Gary Trent has been playing extremely well. I'm really happy for him. Uh, He's getting a chance to kind of show what he has to offer. Um, This is the the perfect... uh, Situation in which opportunity is meeting hard work. He's getting an opportunity to start. He's getting an opportunity to play and showcase what he has to offer. And he's taking full advantage of it. I'm honestly not surprised because I've seen the work. I know what he has to to offer and what he brings to a team. And he's being utilized in that way in which he can thrive. So I'm I'm extremely happy for him. It's bittersweet because I enjoy being around him. Um, But I understand the business side and we have Norm and Norm is playing extremely well for us. And... I'm able to still be in contact with him while developing a new relationship with Norm, which is uh, the cool part about sports. But I, I still keep in contact with G. I text him and we follow the box score. We watch their games and I wish him nothing but the best. And I always told him that, you know, you'd like to see the the players that come after you do well, make a lot of money and continue to to kind of give back to the next generation. And I think Gary's going to be in position to do all those things and me being a guy that played in front of him, a guy that was able to kind of mentor him, you know, tell him some of the things I wish I knew when I was that age, and then also help his game evolve, uh, are happy to see him doing so well. Taking the L's, the injuries continue to pile up in the league. Um, Jamal Murray, uh, a friend of mine, Excel family, who's, who's playing extremely well, uh, he went down on Monday with a torn ACL. Um, wishing him a speedy recovery. This is a tough situation because he was coming off of a knee injury. He had missed the last four games, came back, uh, was battling back. He's a warrior. I've heard a lot of stories about him playing through injuries, uh, just his toughness in general. And he goes down on a tough uh, drive to the basket down the stretch of their uh, most recent game. So I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. And tonight the Nets are without KD, Harden, Blake, and Aldridge uh, for probably maintenance along with injury reasons. It's been a tough season with COVID. It's been a tough season with the condensed schedule, but I think guys are just making the making the best of what they can. Some injuries can't be prevented. It's just a part of the game. Like me going up for a layup and uh, Clint Capella landing on my foot, there was, there was not much I could do about it. But some of these injuries are because uh, the season is compact. It's because you're mentally, physically drained or exhausted. And um, it's a lot. It's a compound. It's a wear and tear. But... Hopefully we can continue to kind of get past this with the playoffs being, you know, 20, 18, 19 games away plus the playing game. I think 
we just have to figure out ways to continue to rest, uh, continue to take advantage of off days and um, the treatment. We have state-of-the-art treatment, recovery, massage, acupuncture, all those things. So uh, we're just hoping to get through it. And as Cuban said, 20 games in 30 days is not pretty. It's not going to be easy, but we're all having to go through it. So hopefully uh, we can continue to push through it. And now it's time for you to cue the wine music. I have been traveling and traveling and traveling, as we all know, but on one of my most recent off days, I took some time to not only go to Adelsheim, but to go to Ponzi Vineyard. I had never been there before, but I enjoyed my time and was able to try a wine I would highly recommend called the Aventina 2. It was a 2016 from the Willamette Valley. More light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet. It was hints of butterscotch, vanilla, butter, minerals, honey, raspberry, cherry, things of that nature. Super, super smooth. Um, and a pretty good price point. I think it's around 35 bucks depending on the year. So uh, depending on what your price range is, I think you would enjoy it. I would highly recommend it. And for those of you that were able to get the uh, Heritage 91 Rosé, uh, I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting feedback on what you guys thought about it. Once again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in faithfully to the Pull Up Podcast. Uh, I want to remind everyone to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Hit us with a five star. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pull Up Pod for fresh content all season long. Tell a friend to tell a friend to follow at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up. Pull up.